right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time that. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017, 1320 all sorts of Bill Self audio to play for you throughout the day here on RCST. Duke loses last night. They get upset on the road. Maybe this is why Coach K does not ever want to play true road games anymore. And he loses at Ohio State. Um, this was contractually obligated. He had to play this road game. It was for the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Ohio State ends up winning 71-66. to And this comes off the heels of Duke on last Friday beating Gonzaga. And it got me to wonder if Duke was back to being, you know, the best team in the country. Certainly they have all sorts of talent. But this is, I think, a good reminder that, you know, some years like last year. Last year we had really two elite teams, right, with Baylor and Gonzaga. Gonzaga goes undefeated. Baylor was undefeated until they had the COVID pause, and then they get beaten. Uh, KU beats them. And at the end of the day, those were still the two elite teams. But we don't always have elite teams. It's not always 2008 where you get four one seeds in the Final Four. It's not always 2015 when you get Kentucky and Wisconsin and Duke in the Final Four who are all uh, legit, legit one seeds. Sometimes there are just years where there are a bunch of good teams, but there isn't that one like elite team. Maybe that is the case with a team like Purdue. Purdue is 7-0 and right now, and they've passed every test. You A couple could ask. good wins. They've got North Carolina and Villanova in there. Yeah, right? Villanova's the big one. They beat Villanova by 6. Villanova's ranked 6. Is North Ken Carolina Paul. ranked at the moment? They were ranked when Purdue beat them. No, not anymore, and they're actually 49th in Ken Palm, which is really? very interesting. Um, Florida State is their other best win, and they smoked Florida State 93-65. Florida State's now 32nd in Ken Palm. So while that game was going on, while the Duke uh, Ohio State game go- was going on, by the way, mm-hmm. Purdue was killing Florida State. Yeah, and so maybe that's the answer. Maybe Purdue is going to end up being the elite team. But also, if I were to say the one elite team in college basketball is a Purdue team that hasn't made the Final Four in ever, uh, ever. I thought no. they did in like the late 80s. Them or something. and Missouri have never been so to the never. Final Four. Okay, so a team who has never made the Final Four. Two schools with the most most tournament wins to not make a Final Four. And I guess that shouldn't disclude you, right, because Gonzaga had never made a Final Four until 2017, and they almost won the title. Yeah, right? but you put it on, I mean, it, it goes on Matt Painter. Yeah. I mean, what Gene Cady did uh, before Matt Painter doesn't go on him. Mm-hmm. But he Matt, only has Matt Painter's been eight, there right? for, yeah, Matt Painter's been there for a while. And I was that year they lost to Virginia, his only elite yeah. eight. Yeah, and honestly, they probably should have won that game considering how well they shot it. Yeah, that was a weird. Yeah, that that a lot happened at that mm-hmm. game for really for Virginia to win that tournament. They had a lot of weird stuff happen. So I I don't know. Maybe Purdue will end up being answer answer, but because of the fact that it's just like the say it out loud test, it's 
Can you actually see Purdue hoisting the trophy? Can you actually see Matt Painter hoisting the national title trophy? It's maybe a little tougher. And again, that test doesn't always work. Like it was really hard to envision Scott Drew hoisting the national championship trophy last year. So that's not the be all end all. But I just wonder if there is like an actual elite team in college basketball this year, or if this is going to be one of those years where there is, you know, a collection of somewhere between five and 12 teams that we look at and say, you know, any of those teams could win the title and there's not that much separation between number one and number 12, whereas last year there was obvious separation between number one, number two, and then everybody else. Yeah, I think we're still at a point um, where we're not quite ready to make that declaration one way or the other. One thing that always annoys me is when a really great team comes out um, and they, you know, like let's say they, they play a couple top 15 opponents and they just blow right through them if like if if Purdue for example if if what Purdue is doing uh so far this season was being done by um an established blue blood or even uh Baylor um or Gonzaga you know not not a historical blue blood but a, a program that's established itself in the modern era people would be saying well can they go undefeated so I think everybody kind of jumps too much to conclusions early in the season. It's it's almost, you know, we're, we're what, a fifth of the way through this thing. Everybody's played about six games. They're going to play 30 before the regular season is out. Um, you've still got your conference play, which presumably is always going to be the toughest because that's where every coach knows each other, knows each other's tendencies. Um, and so, you know, I, but I, I, I don't see how you could argue for anybody besides Purdue to get the number one ranking. Um, but as far as does that mean, you know, I think a lot of times it also, when there is an established great team, I think as much of it is there are, or great two or three teams, as much of it is the the teams behind them. It's, it's partly how great those Mm -hmm. teams are, but it's as much that the teams behind them aren't quite as good either. Yeah, because, okay, so like to go through these, Gonzaga loses to Duke, then they barely beat Tarleton State. Baylor, uh, I don't know, maybe Baylor is the other like amazing team this year, but it's hard to envision that going back-to-back years. Houston um, lost to Wisconsin in the Maui Invitational. Kansas lost to Dayton. Villanova has two losses. Duke just lost to an unranked Ohio State team. UCLA got crushed. I'm a big, fat liar. I apologize. I swore Purdue was on that list. They have made two Final Fours. Okay. 1969 and 1980. So I knew there was one in the You were 80s. correct. My there fault. There we go. I... Uh, well, I'm going home. I'm firing myself. All right. Adam is fired. If you would like his job, give us a call. Let's have, no, I'm just joking. Um, all right. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLW. And I guess uh, the point of all this is to say, I don't know if there really is a point, to be honest, but the fact that maybe Kansas's flaws that have been so, like, I don't know, short of a season, so it's hard to really call them a flaw when it's been, you know, five, six games. But but everybody's beatable. Yes, exactly. And Duke, very similarly to KU, I mean, Duke blew a big lead um, late last night. I mean, KU was, and Day- I, I think we can agree, Ohio State is probably better than Dayton. Certainly they don't have the losses that Dayton has. But in KU's case, they were down for a portion of the second half, whereas Duke, their, their double-digit lead was well into the second half, and then they just floundered in the last six minutes or so. Yeah, so that's all good to know. Now, as we look at this KU team, I'm interested because I, as I was thinking back, 
you know, to last week and heading into the week that was, one of the conversations that kept coming up, like, would Jalen Wilson end up being the second best player on this team if you just were given the fact that Ochai is the best? Maybe that'll still end up being the case once Jalen starts to, you know, get more, I guess, synchronized with the team. But I don't think in that discussion of who the second best player on the team was, right, because in the preseason it was, okay, your top two players are some collection of Remy Martin, Ochak, Baji, David McCormick. Those were the three that were on the All-Big 12 team. And then once we got to the season, it was, okay, maybe Jalen Wilson's in that conversation. I think we have just royally skipped over Christian Brown. And I think he has to be, if you ranked them right now, of the best players on this KU team, I think you probably go Ochai one. I think Christian Brown would have to be second on the team. Think about this. Christian is second on the team in scoring, assists per game, steals per game, and blocks per game. He is first on the team in rebounding and field goal percentage. And he's doing all this while shooting 33% on three. I mean, if I gave you over under, will Christian Brown end up above or below 33% from three? You'd probably take the over. Now, the two-point shooting probably regresses, but that probably goes up, so then it probably equals out. From an efficiency standpoint, it could equal out. Yeah, exactly. So I think there is a very good case to be made that Christian Brown is the second-best player on this team right now. I think what I love about this argument is that um, if you look at it, it's Christian Brown... Uh, Christian Brown, it's the way he's playing that is getting him in this argument. Now, you could argue that players, part of it is because players have regressed, uh, because McCormick has, has played not at the level that we would have expected. We, you know, we all kind of were hoping maybe he would be back to what he was toward the end of the conference play before he got COVID last year ahead of the tournament. Um, Jalen Wilson is is kind of sluggish coming off of his suspension, but even it isn't like Christian Brown is going you know, 12 points, four rebounds, and we just have to pick a second-best player. He cemented himself there. Even, I really, you could argue, even if David McCormick were playing at the level we expected him to, and even if Jalen Wilson had picked up where he left off and, and wasn't, you know, slow coming off of his suspension, Christian Brown would still be in the argument for second-best player on this team. So, even though you could point to a couple players that are coming up short of their expectations, uh... Christian Brown, to me, it's more it's less about guys who aren't living up to their expectations, and it's more about Christian Brown far exceeding them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. But is there would you go as far to say because I don't even know. I, I, I said the given that Ochai is the best player on the team. How crazy would it be for me to say Christian Brown is the best player on the team? I think his numbers, his non points numbers would would make you think he really there's an argument for that. Um, I, I think, I mean, it's not an insane notion. I think, uh, Abaji with the start he had is probably, I would put him still up there. Like if I have to trust somebody like to, to really carry this on and, and you know, who's, who has to be the best player for KU to win a big game. I, I kind of prefer it to be Abaji, but maybe I'm living too much in that great performance he had against Michigan state. Um, but yeah, Brown's, I think Abaji is, is slightly, uh, ahead of him in points. Right. And, and we have this on the, on the show rundown. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, Brown leads him in every other category. So this is, well, yeah, this is, uh, from the, just the tournament in Orlando Okay, for numbers here. 
This was just last week. Because if you remember in the the first game of the season, Christian had just six points. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so those numbers weren't for the season. And I remember Bill Self saying, like, we know we can get a lot more from Christian based on what he showed us in the offseason. This is just from last week, three games. Ochai averaged 19 points a game, three rebounds, two assists, less than a steal, no blocks. Christian averaged 17 points, about two less points. But he averaged seven rebounds, so more than double the rebounds, three assists, so about double the assists, 2.3 steals, which is basically triple the steals, 0.3 blocks. Shooting-wise, Ochai, 52% from the field, Christian, 63% from the field. Wow. From three, Ochai, 42, Christian, 33. So again, Ochai's been a better shooter, um, but Christian shot better from the free throw line as well. So, circle back around to this. Is Christian Brown the best player on KU right now? No, um, I still the the no, I I still have to go with Ochai. I'll say this for Christian Brown though, the what he's doing, you I I would I would stake the claim that he is becoming what we all thought Jalen Wilson would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he looks like there's there's always a player uh, under there for the longest time. There has always been a player under Bill Self who between a given year, whether it's between their freshman year and sophomore year, sophomore, junior, et cetera, et cetera, who just comes out and go, and you go, where did this guy come mm-hmm. from? Thomas Robinson comes to mind. Um, Frank Mason, you kind of saw him come on toward the end of the 2015 season, but he really, um, 15 and into that 16 season, he, you know, that that's when he really came on. And then you go back and you hear stories of, well, yeah, uh, it's because he was showing up and, and he did his morning practices with the guards and then he came back again and he practiced with the big men in the afternoon and then he did individual drills all night. Would it surprise you one bit to find out that that was Christian Brown this this offseason just based on how he's played? Oh, no, wouldn't surprise me at all. And I think we're we're starting to see him become more of a, you know, like uh, when I saw him play in high school, he was basically the the point guard for Blue Valley Northwest, and that makes sense, right? In in high school, get your best, best player, player the ball, unless right? they're seven feet tall. Yeah, exactly. Your best player is going to be the point guard. Exactly. So you know, you, you kind of take that with a grain of salt, but he was more of like a slasher, driver, facilitator that would hit threes if he had the opening. Then once he came to KU, he became more of the you know set three point shooter. It was it was kind of a difference in that game. But the point is. That's been there in his past. And I think we're seeing more of that this year that's led to a lot of his improvement. The fact that he is shooting so well, driving to the rim. We haven't really seen that in years past. The fact that he is being able to handle the ball. And, you know, I go back to, this is so stupid, but remember that secret scrimmage with the Tulsa game? And mm-hmm. we, we kind of kept track of the stats from the highlights of the limited what we saw. Yeah, it was like three-minute highlight package or something. And one of the things you noted was it was like Christian Brown is just like feeding dimes to everyone. Yeah. And now looking back, like again, he's, you know, second on the team in assists per game. He's handling the ball a lot. Like he is doing so much for this team right now. Yeah, we and and look at I mean, think about how much time, Derek, we spent going, well, when Jalen Wilson comes back, uh, what about, you know, Bobby Pettiford's minutes? What about Joseph Joe Yesifu's minutes? What about Dewan Harris's minutes? We never even factored in that they, you know, there's another guy to add to that conversation because we never even thought of Christian Brown as the player you just described them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I you know we all love Brian Haney and we all love the the nickname he's given downtown Christian Brown, but if he can take that you know the 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 three point shot that that earned him that nickname and become a guy, it's it's you know I've I've said 
plenty of times, you know, the the more the more scoring threats any given player has, the better he's going. You know, the the, the harder that is on a defense, and the more scoring threats any given team has, that that the harder it is for a defense to plan around them. And that's exactly, you know, Christian Brown is adding, he's added scoring threats to his own repertoire, and therefore he's added more scoring threats to this entire team. And just imagine that. Imagine if Christian did work his three-point percentage up to 38 40% along with everything he is doing right now. I think at that point, you would have a very, very difficult conversation with, because I agree with you, I think I would still lean Ochai right now. But I don't think it's that crazy of a conversation anymore. And if he continues slashing to the rim, he's going to get, I mean, the whole design, um, I know a lot of people, you know, wonder about Bill Self's emphasis on guards driving to the rim. One of the biggest reasons is because there is kind of a propensity for college refs to call fouls when guards run into big men. Uh, and if that if, if that works out and he starts getting to the rim more, uh, or I mean, if he continues to keep finishing, uh, but if that go, you know, if he if he can finish and you know keep getting, if he if that can lead to either finishing at the rim or getting to the foul line, he's a good foul. He's shown to be a good foul shooter so far, anyway. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We'll have Jesse Newell on in about twenty minutes from right now. But coming coming up next, we will let you listen into the first part of what Bill Self had to say to the media ahead of the St. John's game. This is RCST on FM one hundred one seven thirteen twenty KLWN KLWN dot com. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. 20 till 4, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Joined now by Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, kansascity.com on the show Jesse, we were just talking in the open about Christian Brown, and when you look at all these stack categories, he's basically first or second among every category for KU, except, funny enough, like three-point percentage, which you would think is going to go up for him. I I think if you ask most people, they'll tell you Ochai Baji is the best player on the team, and that's probably what I'd tell you as well, but how much of a stretch would it be to say that Christian Brown might just be the best player on the team right now? Mm, a little bit of one. <laughs> yeah, no, he's been playing well, though. I, I don't think there was any doubt that he was, if not KU's best player over in Orlando, then, you know, one of the top two uh, that that the Jayhawks had. And, you know, statistically, he's kind of helped out because you just mentioned, Derek, he helps in a lot of ways. You know, he's uh, gotten much better with his two-point percentage this year with his drive, kind of that jump stop in the lane and making that, that short shot off at two feet. He can make threes, even though he hasn't shown that as much this year. But, you know, he's got some blocks. He's a pretty good rebounder for his size. He's kind of gritty in there and, and doesn't mind kind of being a scrappy player for Kansas and, and being a role player when he needs to be. Uh, I still think defensively um, he, he can be better. And it's tough for him a little bit. You know, he's he's playing as a 6 He's listed as 6'6". Six, six. He's probably closer to 6'7 or 6'8". He's playing as a guard. Uh, and so some of the lateral equipment stuff, guys driving against him, um, I think there's still improvement for him uh, to go in that area. And there were times definitely in Orlando where the defensive problems that KU had were partly on uh, Christian Brown's shoulders. But 
Um, that's probably what separates him from Ochai right now, if, if you're being honest. I mean, I know Ochai scored like crazy, but usually Ochai is a guy that can slide on that end, and he's usually not the problem that KU has defensively. Christian sometimes is, but, you know, the fact that he's filling up the stat sheet and doing a lot of positive things for Kansas and, again, knows his role and is ready to embrace it, I think all those are, are big-time positives for Kansas. And it's sort of like we talked about in the offseason, Derek, when people were um, trying to get Christian Brown out of the starting lineup. Uh, you know, I, I talked about this, but, over every single year, college basketball players in general tend to become better. They tend to improve, and you've seen that with Christian Brown this offseason. He definitely worked on his game, has improved, much like Ochai Abashi has, and that's been a very good positive development for Kansas early on in the season. Wait, so hold on. I, I want to stop on something you said there. Most colleges, it's like, we're going to list this guy at 6'2". He's like five foot eleven. You think, you think they listed him under height? I actually think he. I think he actually probably grew in the off season, yeah. and uh, you know he's actually talked about that a little bit here recently in recent weeks, where he said, "I think I might have grown an inch," uh, but you know the rosters are usually set from year to mm-hmm. year. If a guy gains six pounds or something, they're not going <laughs> to list him at two hundred six instead of two hundred. They're just going to at two hundred because more than likely, you know, you have one practice, you sweat off three pounds, you're going to be two hundred three before you know it anyway. So. Uh, maybe they'll do a re-measurement on Christian before his career is over, but uh, six six for now, maybe closer to six seven, six eight, just because of uh, a very late growth spurt, which is something you don't normally expect from college kids. Well, his brother's like six nine, six ten, so who knows? Maybe he'll. That, could you imagine that? Like Christian Brown ends up being a center because he keeps growing by the time his KU career is over. Um, speaking of the center position, which I just brought up on my own, uh, bigger worry for KU basketball right now: the center position with David McCormick struggling or the defense overall for KU struggling? I think they're hand-in-hand. I think it's the exact same problem you're talking about, which is... This is um, Spider-Man meme. They're just pointing at each other. Yeah, exactly. They're they're, they're kind of pointing at each other. The the two Spider-Man meme, not the three. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But, (laughs) yeah, no, I I think it's the same thing. Uh, KU's biggest issue is probably what I just mentioned to start off with, which is guys like Christian Brown... uh, are struggling to keep their man in front of them. So when there's drives, you know, that can lead to opposing guards getting shots at the basket. Now, you heard Bill Self talk about this so much two or three years ago, and it was almost like you rolled your eyes when you started talking about it because he has said it so much because he would say, people don't understand how good Yudoka Azubuki is. Like, teams don't even go and try to score against him inside, and that just makes the whole defense so much better. And you can kind of take Yudoka for granted, but now you really see what that's like because now when guards are driving by Kansas's first line of defense, they're getting layups. You know, they're getting all the way to the rim and they're scoring. And so that goes back to the center position. And if you look at the studies that are done, if you look at college basketball and kind of like defensively, what is the number one thing you can control? You know, we can talk in circles and circles about what, what coaches want, what they want their players to do, what the schemes are, all that sort of stuff. The number one thing that you can do on the defensive end is restrict two-pointers around the basket. And that usually comes with a rim protector. And KU, so many years, has had a Jeff Withy back there. They've had a Yudoka Azabuki back there. They've had a guy who erases all sorts of mistakes, and he really lifts uh, the tide for the entire boat when it comes to defense. And KU doesn't have that. I mean, Dave McCormick had showed some progress early in the season with his block percentage in the first couple games. It looked like, hey, maybe maybe he's on to something, or maybe he's developed into that player. And that would have been a huge development for Kansas, but... You know, the last three games, it wasn't there. He had two total blocks in three games uh, in Orlando, and so that's a problem. And it's also a kind of a bigger problem for Kansas in that, you know, if, if Dave doesn't provide them that, 
you know, I'm sure if you're Bill Self, you start to think in your head like, well, if he's going to struggle to make layups and he's going to struggle inside to keep his balance, and then he's not going to be a rim protector, which he probably can be better than the other guys that they can put out there, do you just scrap that and play a different style? And so this was kind of a, a discussion point early last year, and Bill Self stuck with Dave, and Dave delivered in the second half of the season. Uh, it's starting to be a discussion point again. But, yeah, those two things, I think, are going to be linked. Okay, you need to take more pride defensively to just guard their man. But um, once it gets past that, Dave needs to do a better job of cleaning up some mistakes, and neither of those are really working in tandem right now. So, like I said, one is leading to the other, but both of them are leading to KU getting scored upon at a greater rate than obviously Bill Self wants. Well, I know my former co-host Nick used to bring up last year the fact that you know Bill Self was Doctor Strange last year, where you know he he looked through a hundred or a million scenarios, and there was the one scenario of how KU ended up being uh, their best version of themselves last year, and it was David McCormick becoming the best version of himself. Do you think that question still exists this year, or do you think they have more options this season that instead of maybe waiting all season long and just hoping that it turns, that there would actually be a, a change to uh, the rotation, how many minutes he's playing, who's the starter, who's getting more action at that five position this year as opposed to last year? Yeah, I think, again, I'm saying these things over and over again, I think both. Uh, I think that Bill Self is examining that very question in his head, and I think he keeps coming back to that Dave is the guy that would give them their highest ceiling. And you understand why he's a big body. I mean, he can, you know, he doesn't do it very often. He can dunk it. You know, on a, as a role man, he's a weapon, which opens up some other things in KU's offense. And I just said it, you know, he has been a rim protector at times this season. I, I mean, if I look at Overall, his numbers, his block rate, he's blocked, when he's in the game, he's blocked 9.6% of opponents' two-point attempts. That ranks 43rd nationally. I mean, it's not like this guy hasn't blocked shots this year. He has. It's just inconsistent. And, uh, you know, he gets kind of, I, I don't know how to say, it gets kind of foot-tied. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he kind of gets anchored in the lane, maybe behind his defender or the step late. There was one against Dayton that was really weird, like, he had walled up, and the shot clock was winding down, and, and the Dayton guy just kind of put his shoulder into him, and Dave bounced back about four feet, and the guy shot a layup. And Bill Self is just going berserk on the sidelines. So I just think some of this is – it's not physical with Dave. It's just sort of mental, and it's not executing. And I think he gets down on himself and then uh, doesn't trust himself. And who doesn't trust himself, he doesn't play confident. Who doesn't play confident, and these weird plays happen that you're like, how did that guy just go over the six foot ten, two 250-pound guy? That, that shouldn't happen. So – I, I think that's sort of where Bill Self's at. He's he's losing patience with Dave, but he still sees that this team probably is best with Dave if Dave is playing the way that he played the second half of last year. So um, will the the trigger get pulled a little bit quicker to somebody else? I think so this year because I think there are more options. Last year they didn't really have as many options other than just playing five guards, and we know over time Bill Self's not quite comfortable going to that yet because at heart he's a defensive guy, and if you're going to go that route, if K's going to go five guards, they've just got to hope their offense is just superhuman, and then they are going to give up easy baskets on the other end. they just got to pressure out. And, again, if we're just going back to the roots, the DNA of what Bill Self is, he does. he's not Mike Anderson. You know, like he's not going to just press teams up and down the court. He's not going to – they can pressure out a little bit, but he doesn't love giving up easy baskets. And that's how the style the team would have to play. They just have to pressure out on everybody and hope that you get enough steals to make up for the layups that you're you're going to give up. There's just no doubt you're going to give them up if you're going to play that tiny 
on the defensive end. So, um, yeah, I think Dave is still the answer here. I think he probably will be the answer, but you know, Bill Self, as you've heard his comments after that first game over in Orlando against North Texas, you know, he's lost a little bit of patience. He, he's, he's running out of wick for David McCormick here because, you know, David's 22 years old. He's, he's had these struggles before. He had the struggles last year, and, and at some point he's got to pull himself out of it. So we'll see how it plays out, but I, I guess the most likely scenario, if we're going back to Nick Schwartz, the most likely scenario is that Dave pulls out of this at some point KU plays through him uh, again uh, as the mostly the anchor five man, and at some point in the season he pays off and, and looks more like the Dave we saw the second half of last year. Okay, let's let's say that we do get to a scenario where you know I don't, I don't know if he loses a starting job or like I said how, like it, I don't think it's ever going to get to a point basically where he's just never playing right like we can we can agree on that even if it does get to the the scenario where he's not playing as much or he's not starting like he's still playing you know 10 15 minutes a game or whatever it is um but let's say there is that scenario where he is no longer the guy at the five position who do you think in that world would be the guy to overtake him. Would it be Mitch Lightfoot, Zach Clemens, KJ Adams, Jalen Wilson? Who would you go with? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of weird. That's that's a problem for Kansas, right? I mean, Bill Self went and went grocery shopping and the transfer portal for basically everybody or every type of player of the offseason. You know, he gets three-point specialists. He gets guys that can jump. He gets more athletic. He gets speedier, but he didn't go out and get another rim protector. And that's kind of where KU lags. So they don't have, I mean, I'm thinking, just as an example, like what if Flo Thombo was on this team? You know what I mean? From Baylor. Just like a big dude who just passes it, doesn't turn it over, but stands in the middle and blocks a bunch of shots. I mean, that would that'd kind of be a, big, a nice fit right now where you don't really need him to do much offensively other than roll the basket and score on layups and dunks, but KU doesn't have that. So, I mean, I think... You're looking at either K.J. Adams or Jalen Wilson. Jalen hasn't played great so far, but that's kind of where KU had success the first two or three games last year when they played a lot more than they thought they would. You know, Jalen can grab rebounds. It would make them a lot quicker offensively. And, again, I think you just hope at that point, if you're built up, you kind of are going 2018 on everybody. You're just saying, look, you're going to put the best offense out there. That team is going to score like in bunches. It's going to be a great transition. It's going to be a great shooting team. Defensively, it's going to be ugly at times, but you just sort of outscore your problems. And um, so that's a scenario. But, you know, he talked really highly of K.J. Adams after the, the trip to Orlando. So maybe that's somebody, too. You know, you can switch all five on the outside as long as Remy can guard his man and not get posted up as he got posted up so often in the Orlando trip. But, you know, make things a little bit easier for you defensively. He can, he can rebound, obviously. He can run. He's athletic. He can block some shots in that sort of way and is um, sort of that kind of bouncy player on the back end. So I guess I'd lean K.J. Adams right now, but I wouldn't count out Jalen Wilson either. Again, I, I, the reason I would be more hesitant on Jalen is because I just – at Bill Self's core, he doesn't want to play that way. At Bill Self's core, he doesn't want to – pressure out and be a team that's reliant upon, you know, getting a steal, a steal, and then allowing a layup. That's just it's not how he is. That's not who he is as a human, you know? So uh, I think it's just more difficult to envision KU deciding to completely go that direction. KJ Adams probably provides them a little bit more of a happy medium that could give them some defensive presence on the back end and allow them to play smaller than they have so far. We're talking with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. I do want to ask you a football question here. Um, 
What's kind of your, based on how the season went, your early expectation for this offseason, what KU football can and and should look like in 2022 expectations for, you know, how much improvement, I guess, can there be over this one offseason? What's kind of your early thoughts on next year for KU football? Yeah, they, you know, the KU coaches, it's crazy. They kind of raised the bar a little bit the last three games, just showing what they could do even with a depleted roster. Uh, I still, you know, if you look at the schedule that was out there that came out today, I think it's kind of tough for Kansas because the games that you might think are winnable are on the road in the Big 12, and the games that you might have just marked as losses are at home. It was kind of flipped this year for Kansas, you know, even though they only picked off Texas on the road. So, uh, you know, I you don't want to cap a ceiling for anybody, but I always kind of thought year three for Lance Leipold, if things went right and things progressed as you – could have anticipated with the roster inherited and kind of a younger roster. They get another year with the program, all those sorts of things that potentially um, I kind of talked about this being exponential growth. I thought it'd be one win this year, then maybe three or four ish, maybe, you know, somewhere in that range, second year and then third year for borderline bowl eligibility, which again, that's a big step for this program. This program hasn't, hasn't been more than three wins since Mark Mangino was the coach. So, uh, that would be kind of a gradual improvement, but I kind of thought of this as like, hey, whatever happens this year is whatever um, because of the circumstances involved. So I guess that's what I would say. Next year, if you're just looking at win total, I would say three to four-ish, but also with an eye to the future saying, hey, the next year they very well could be borderline bowl eligible, which um, with the schedule coming back to them in the way I talked about with those big 12 tough games going back to the road and the easier games going back home, um, that would be a huge accomplishment for the program. And uh, if they made a bowl in year three, obviously nobody would be displeased with uh, where Lance Leipold had gotten the Jayhawks. All right, Jesse, you ready for another edition of the award-winning segment, Kiss, Mary Kill? Let's do it. All right, first up, Duke. Second, Houston. Third, Kansas. Kiss, Mary Kill. <laughs> oh, Kansas. Mm. All right, you got to get that. I right figured it would be better to put them on an early one after they come off a, a bad loss to Dayton. Well, I will. Uh, I'll marry Kansas. Um, you know, mm. it, it reminds me so much of in the opposite. You know, Lance Leipold all year said, "Hey, uh, this team can't overcome any mistakes, really, because the margin of error is small." I see the margin error for Kansas this year so large because they can score so easy in transition. Oh my gosh, it's like a, it's just like a pill that gets sixteen free points a game. So I, <laughs> I, I I'm, I'm really high on Kansas still. Uh, I, I will kiss Houston. Uh, their defense lately has been crazy good. I mean, they are holding teams to, to nothing. You know, 49 Oregon scored against them. Uh, it's uh, Butler 52. I mean, they've been really good. I'll obviously kill Duke because uh, I had them lower than obviously, any other yeah. uh, this week. So that was going to be the easy call on that end. And, uh, just because they beat Gonzaga as an eight-and-a-half-point underdog doesn't mean I don't think that if Gonzaga played Duke on a neutral tomorrow, that Gonzaga wouldn't be somewhere around a seven or eight point favorite. So uh, I think that Duke is somewhere in the back half of the top 10, uh, but one game does not mean that they are the best team in the nation. I think you just endeared yourself to the RCST fan base by marrying Kansas and killing Duke. All right, uh, before we <laughs> let you go, Jesse, um, one last thing with Adam. All right, Jesse, one last thing. Aside from 911, which hopefully we all know, do you have five phone numbers memorized? Oh, I, 
think I would with my family. And it's part of this is because we used to kind of pass the phone numbers around. You know, it would be my cell phone, and then it would go to be my mom's, and then my dad's. So I think I've memorized probably three of my own numbers. I would know. I might not know which family member it goes to, but I would know that uh, that it went to one of them. So yeah, that one. My wife. I still got the old time and temperature from Emporia, Kansas. Uh, ah. If you guys need it, six two zero three four two nine thousand. So <laughs> if you guys want to go flood the line there, you can do that as well. So yeah, I would say probably just barely on the over of five. Well done. I'm proud of you. Yeah, I think I have parents, wife. Maybe that's it. I have every <laughs> friend because I, I I got I never kept a phone book very well, so mm-hmm. I have every every friend from high school. I still have their phone number. Memorized. Wow. That's I just good type, memory. I typed it in all the time. Well, you're an elephant. I am not. All right, that's Jesse Newell of the Kansas City that Star, KansasCity.com. No, it is not. Jesse, thank you so much for the time, man. Yeah, because you guys will never know the fear of trying to call somebody's, uh, you know, potential girlfriend at home either. Boy, that, <laughs> that put the fear of God into you, too. I know, right? Who's going to answer, you know? Who's going to answer? So, uh, yeah, fun days indeed. All right, that's Jesse Newell, Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. About 20 past four, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Thanks for tuning in. FM 1017, 1320 on the AM dial. KLWN.com. No excuses excuses not to listen. Uh, give us a five-star review if you could on our Best of RCST podcast. really helps us out. Uh, all right, it is time for another edition. I think our second edition of Around the World with Adam. Go ahead and cue the music. Adam, what is first up? All right, uh, this one is, if I can pull up the news story, uh, the source here is uh, NPR. Uh, this story out of mm. Bangkok, which is a city that I should not be allowed to say, allowed to say on the air. <laughs> uh, one of Thailand's major fast food chains is promoting uh, a type of pizza this month. Um, mm-hmm. It has a whole bunch of toppings. Uh, what do you think one of the primary uh, like feature toppings is? I'm going to give you a hint. The name of it is the Crazy Happy Pizza. Okay, the crazy happy pizza. Is this like McDonald's in Thailand? No. Like it's, a happy it's, meal? No, it's a pizza place. Okay, it's it is just called the pizza crazy company. Crazy happy. That doesn't give me indication what is on it. Maybe the toppings look like a smiley face? No. Um crazy happy. I don't know. It's obviously something weird for it to be in a news story, right? If somebody just put, you know, Yeah, it's a weird news segment. Yeah. So. Uh I mean, people put sardines on pizza. That's I think weird, but you know, apparently not. I, I don't know. Dead fish. Pot leaf about the size of your face. Oh. Right on top of the pizza. Okay. According to That's this. It's called the crazy happy. Yes. Uh, according to this, uh, the quote, let's see if I can. Um, the general manager says, uh, it's just a marketing campaign. Of course, they cannot get you high and you can taste the cannabis. And then if you have enough, you might get a bit sleepy. It also includes, along with the enormous uh, nine-inch uh, pie, uh, the, the pie it's itself is nine inches. Uh, the the cannabis leaf itself stretches from about end to end, um, but it also uh, the the cheese crust is infused with a little bit of cannabis, and there's a chopped cannabis in the dipping sauce. So a lot going on. But according uh, to this guy, you can't actually get high. You cannot uh, can get high off of it. Um, which leads me to ask, what's the point? Yeah. Um, what is the point of that? Just if you eat a few, you might get a little sleepy. Which well, I'll like, be honest, there's, there's, if I ate an entire pizza, I'd get sleepy anyway. There's CBD, right? Which that doesn't get you high, but it can. You know, I know a lot of people that take Use CBD. It to they kind have, of help with anxiety right, or pain. aches or pains or whatever it is. Um, I don't know. Maybe this does that. 
But okay, well, then I guess that answers my question. I was going to ask, this was going to be a dumb question. I was like, could you get high off just eating a pot leaf? Like, does it have to be distilled Doesn't or processed? Seem, by the way, in some I, way, I but, know, um, not that I have um, a lot of experience. Yeah, Adam was this. telling me all sorts of pot stories in the break. I um, couldn't get him to stop talking. I don't know. So, uh, anybody who knows me and in, in, uh, knew me in high school and in my late teens is, is laughing right now, me claiming I don't have much experience <laughs> with this. Uh, the nuggets themselves um, do a lot more in that realm than the leaves. And you're not talking about chicken nuggets, this pizza place is No, talking. I'm not. Okay. Um, Okay, that's um, kind of interesting. So yeah, big old pot leaf, and it's infused with cannabis. There's got to the be crust. a place in like Denver that does something like that, right? Yeah, it has to be. Yeah. Um, but uh, this one out of Thailand, so good for them. Mm. Uh, next, this is uh, something you would have liked. Um, this is kind of all over the place. The primary place is Atlantic City, but it, it features a British company or British soccer game, um, and uh, a, a company, a technology group uh, based out of Malta. So it's all over the place. Uh, the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement is fined a Malta-based sports betting technology company and a Chicago-based company called Rush Street Interactive for $1,000 apiece. There was a prop bet that a certain player um, would score a goal. Uh, let me try to find the name of the player. Marcus Rashford of Manchester United. Okay. There's a prop bet that he was going to score a goal in their match against uh, Liverpool on May 13th. Uh, that the game, a while ago. The match was on May 13th. You just had to bet money on whether or not he would score mm-hmm. one goal, uh, at least one goal. He did. The nice thing for bettors who cashed in for about $15,000 on this was that the uh, company didn't list the bet until May 14th. So Wait, what? you got to bet on uh, the out. You basically got to bet on a prop bet for a player who played in a game on May 13th, and you got to make the bet on. And the whether- people actually got their money out of this. No, they, that was uh, the problem. They mm. they nixed it. Uh, I guess this uh, company um, from Chicago, Rush Street, noticed the problem, uh. Uh, admitted it, uh, self-reported it, which is why their their fine is only a thousand bucks. Um, sadly, Wait. those people, they got their money back, but they did not win any money as a result. So, do you think there's anybody who made money off of it? Do you think the very first person who stood in line and saw this got money out of it? I'm sure they nulled every ticket. You think so? I don't know. You you know more about sports gambling than I do, but I, I'm sure they nulled every ticket they printed. Because, well, like, how it works, you walk up to the, the kiosk, and, and there's two ways. There's electric kiosks, and then there's, like, the, the guy who takes the bet. And, you know, he just takes the slip you have. Or if you were going up, I guess you had to make the bet. You go up, make the bet. He types in the number, it prints out a slip. Yeah. So would he just give it to you? And then you're like, yep, I won. Just give it right back. In that case, it would get him to be like, okay, I got to talk to my manager here. But if you did the electronic one where you got it to print out the slip for you and then you took it to the guy at the kiosk and said, hey, here is my winning bet. He wouldn't know any other reason, and he would probably just cash it. So I kind point. of wonder if maybe one Somebody or two people slipped through the cracks. Um, it said uh, eighty. The, the the collective total was eight, uh, was fifteen thousand dollars. All the wagers were eventually voided, or at least the the fifteen thousand dollars worth were voided. It was eighty six New Jersey gamblers had their uh, had their bets voided as a result of this. But That's for a moment, they really thought they were. They'd woken up on the, the wrong day or something. Well, that's one of those things, too, where you see it and you go, this can't be real. Or it's like, okay, this has got to be a typo. This is for the next time they play or something. Or maybe this is like an old paper. And you're just like, okay, whatever. I, and then you start to like, but what if it's real? 
and and you don't because if you knew it was real, you would just be like, I'm putting all my money because I know I am doubling it. That's a good but point. But there's still a part in the back of your mind that's like this. Yeah, there's can't no be true. chance it's real. Right. That may be why it's only fifteen thousand yeah. dollars, and it that's wasn't like one person you would think put there up hundred grand. Yeah. Because if somebody knew that, then they're hundred percent would. But that that's the dream right there. You're basically living the reality to back in the future. Except everybody gets the chance to do it. Everybody knows what happens and gets to bet on something that already happened. Except the casino. Yeah, except the casino. And and you know what? If the casino makes that mistake, they should have to deal with it. That should be part of the process, right? That's I mean, fair. you take a cut from winnings when people win. Like, you know, if, if you mess up, that's on you. That's your fault. I mean, if somebody... Look at it this way. Did they void... How many people were ignorant and didn't realize that game happened the day before and bet no after the fact? Yeah, that's a good question. And did they get their money back? I don't know. That's a good question. But, like, like where does the line cut off here? Because, um, okay, for instance, you have this MLB situation going on. I don't, I don't know if you saw this. And, and stop me if this is a news story in there. Um, but it was announced yesterday, or, or I think it was Business Insider came out with a story yesterday, that they did investigative journalism and found the MLB used two different baseballs over the course of the season last year, but they didn't tell people they were doing it. And Was this part of the, the, the sticky sticky? I don't know. No, no, no. Spider attack? No, there was like a quote in here from that somebody uncovered from Rob Manfred where um, it talks about, you know, like, hey, we have Sunday night baseball between the Red Sox and the Yankees. Use the good baseballs for that. Use the bad baseballs for the when the Mariners are playing the Rangers or whatever. Ah. So it's like it's and it, and it clearly something like that. You could say, well, does it affect who won or lost? Probably not because both teams had to deal with the same ball, right? Um, but did it affect betting? Yes, it a hundred percent affected. And, and I saw somebody today who had a model for betting on over and unders on baseball said all season long their model was off the wall wrong and it normally was a pretty good model and they said we found out that the reason why was because of the baseball switches so something like that you should get your money back i think something like you know if you have blatant corruption on a sports bet i think you should get your money back so this should be if if you're not going to do that which they don't this should be an alternative to that if you mess up that's on you people get the money Yeah, everybody gets their you know um, that's interesting. I know I had not seen that, and this was not in there. But those, I kind of make. Well, here's here's what I found in my life. Um, in this country, it's very well. It's it's very promoted for wealthy people to do awful things to continue to be and grow yeah. their wealth. Yeah, Rob Manfred sucks. No news uh, there. So next, uh, a gentleman named Theodore John Conrad um, died back in May at the age of seventy-one. I'm sure his family was very upset about that. Uh, why were the U.S. Marshals more upset about that? I have no idea. I've never heard of this guy. Because back when he was 20 in 1969, he robbed a bank for $215,000. That's around a lot one, of money in 1969. $1.7 million okay. today. He worked at the bank. On a Friday afternoon, Friday evening when it was closing, he stuffed it in a bag, left. Dowdy showed up to work on Monday. And they've been searching for him ever since. You think it was like... And he got away. John's not here on Monday. It's like, somebody robbed the bank. We don't know who. John closed. He's not here. I don't know why he's not here to help us figure this out. Yeah, call him. <laughs> so, uh, I, well, they knew it was him. Theodore John Conrad um, did not show up to work that Monday. 
had a two-day head start on law enforcement, avoided capture for 15 years, uh, could not avoid uh, father time, or in his case, lung cancer, which is what did him in. Uh, But you know what? The U.S. Marshals didn't. I mean, honestly, good for John. Tip of the cap, right? You didn't hurt anybody in the process. This wasn't a bank robbery where you like shot anybody. You just slyly took the money. Theodore Um, John Conrad. Sure, everybody got their money back with insurance. His given birth name. um, They found out uh, he had changed his name. Uh, This was in Cleveland. I think. Where did he die? Um, May have stayed in in Ohio. Uh, Regardless. uh, Oh no. They yeah. he lived in Linfield, Massachusetts, after he, so he, he took a bus, I guess, to the East Coast. Um, he was, uh, let's see, uh, ironically, he, he at one point in his life, he filed for bankruptcy. <laughs> um, so he had a hell of a party with that 215 grand. Uh, or was that just a cover? That's a good point. Uh, but by, by the time they found out what was going on, uh, he had changed his name to uh, Thomas, uh, Thomas Randell. Mm. So, this is one of my favorite uh, Tom Hanks movies. Is uh, Catch Me If You Can. Catch Me If You Can. Love that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. About Frank Abengale. Yes. But he got caught multiple times. A lot. Yes. And ended up working for whatever, I don't know, IRS. Yeah, what a thing. You just get out of prison and you go to the nearest bank and say, hey, I just got out of prison for uh, screwing a bunch of you mm-hmm. guys over. You want me to want tell me to your you staff out? how yeah. to... <laughs> prevent that from happening yeah. in the future. But like I said, tip of the cap because he didn't hurt anybody. He just took the money. Uh, I hope that this doesn't affect the family negatively. That the I, I don't know how this works. If it's past the statute of limitations or or how this all works. But like, do they get to go after? I don't know if he has like a family. Any, like in, 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 any inheritance? Yeah, left? that's a good question. I don't know. Wouldn't that wouldn't that, would, that, that would stink? You? Right. Well, especially too if you were like the family and they were like, hey, you owe us this money. And it's accrued to this. This is what you owe us, and now you're having to pay off. I, I don't know if that's how that works, but that would be really unfortunate. You know how easy it is to get, or it was, to get away with crimes like that, like, I don't know, 50, 60, 70, 100 years ago? Like, all you... For Theodore Conrad, well, pretty like, easy. There's there's no video of anything. There's no surveillance systems. And then, like, a cop shows up to you. Hey, did you steal from this bet? No. Okay. We have to believe you. We have yeah. no other reason, you know? I, I bet. I wonder. Finger. I think fingerprints existed. But the other real problem, if you watch movies and see pictures from back then, it was harder to, to check things out because the whole world was in black and white. <laughs> well, maybe that. Maybe that's the reason why you can't even see the fingerprint. Because yeah, exactly. Covered. What bus did he go? The black and white one. We don't know. <laughs> what car does he drive? What color was the money? Black yeah. and white. <laughs> All right, next thing. So good for the him. Next, uh, story. Uh, proud of you, Theodore, getting away with uh, with the monies. Uh, the last one, uh, the store out of Louisiana, or as they say in Louisiana, Louisiana, mm. uh, they are looking for uh, an enormous gummy bear statue that has been stolen mm. from the uh, from outside uh, their their store. It's a children's store in the Willow Grove area of Baton Rouge. Um, I want you to I want Baton to note, Rouge. Baton Rouge. I want you to. I want to note that this thing went uh, missing around the same time Brian Kelly wound up <laughs> okay. in um, in Baton Rouge. Giggles is the name of the store. The name of the giant gummy bear mascot is Willow. Vanished recently from its place, its front of the business. Uh, quote: We had lots of kids come in on Saturday and say how much they missed the bear. And with this being the holiday season, it's just a fun icon for us. Owner Whitney Coleman says. Uh, he hangs out outside, comes inside for the bad weather, and he's heavy, so it's just very sad. Apparently, he's fat, so they're pretty sad about it. 
Okay, how how big is this bear? Did they say like how many pounds? Um, let's see. They were not seeking any criminal charges. That's worth noting. Mm, uh, inside job? Question mark. It's a good question. Um, yeah, just a, a publicity stunt, maybe. Publicity uh, stunt, insurance fraud. What do we got? I'm not seeing it. It just says a giant. Uh, the the photo. Um, the photo looks to, to be about the the, uh, the size of. Um, um, well, there are a couple adults standing next to it, and it comes up to roughly their chest. Um, and if I had to guess, these adults standing next to it are uh, probably five foot eight-ish. So it, maybe this thing is a little over four, four, five, four, six. Okay, let's say it's like 75 pounds. Who on their, like, who steals that? Who steals like a 75 pound? What are you going to do with it, first of all? Second of all, what's the motive here? Like, you're not going to the black market and being like, hey, yeah, but I think you, you want some it- kidneys and a giant gummy bear statue? Everybody had, maybe, maybe they sold some kidneys and, and they gave that as a feel, as a, as a get well soon present uh-huh. to the person who got the kidneys. Um, no, I think it's probably just idiot kids that, you know, the same ones that steal road signs and put them in their, in their apartments and their, in their rooms and stuff like that. I think it's the exact same concept. Um, I hope they don't get away with it. I hope it takes less than 60 years to catch them. Yeah, I unlike was, Theodore Conrad. I was kind of fine with him getting away with the money. Not fine with this. Yeah, this is unacceptable. Fess up, buddy. You're going to jail. Yeah, good good call. All right, with Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. That is Around the World with Adam. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. KLWN.com. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back in about 15 till the top of the hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017-1320-KLWN with Adam Brevet. I'm Derek Johnson. Thank you again. Matt Lowell and 23rd Street Brewery sending us out to the KU Volleyball game. We might have another sponsor on board. Uh, we'll see if that comes through for the KU Volleyball game in the NCAA tournament, which will air here on KLWN tomorrow at 4.30. First round, taking on Oregon. We're going to find out uh, who's is it is. Um, whose luck overcomes whose bad luck? Because the one year I did it, they unfortunately uh, lost in their first round of the of the NCAA tournament. Uh, the two years you did it, uh, they won a Big Twelve title, and they went to the the other year they went to a Final Four. So yeah, maybe we'll have some good luck. Yeah, or maybe I used it all, right? Well, who, who knows? <laughs> maybe I took it all out. We'll find yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But if if we get there, because when you did it, they lost in the first round, and yeah, they're yeah, losing yeah. after the first set or two. You have to leave the building, and then okay. we'll see how much that. that correlates. Okay, I'll go off. Uh-huh. Um, there's a <laughs> there's a steakhouse in in Omaha yeah. that I will go to, and and that's fine. Is that the one that um? It's what, not the Warren one Buffett? Warren Buffett goes no, to. It's no, not? okay. Um, the one Warren Buffett goes to starts with a G, and I'm not just saying that because I don't want to say the name on the air. I genuinely cannot remember the name of it. Um. But no, this one. Can I say the name of the one? Yeah, I Yeah, go. I mean, it's called the Drover. We're not really in um, competition to. Yeah, with, you know. yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. it's called the Drover. It's a steakhouse in Omaha. Uh, shout out to Sam Mellinger who introduced me to it. Um, fantastic. Uh, I was going. Um, I was going up to Omaha for a concert, and we decided to kind of just make a weekend out of it. And so I texted Mellinger. I said, "Hey, you travel a lot for work. Mm-hmm. What's a good restaurant?" 
Um, I, I, to be clear, I wasn't going to Omaha with Sam Mellinger. I was going with somebody else. I texted him and said, hey, you travel a lot for work. What's good in Omaha? He said, with an exclamation mark, the drover. So we went, and Lord Almighty, it's good. My wife has been there, and she tells me about it all the time. I have never been. So who knows? Maybe uh, we'll get a KU volleyball celebration dinner tomorrow night <laughs> if that all comes through. Um, the college football playoff rankings came out last night. The final one comes this Sunday, and... Again, like we said leading up to it, there wasn't a ton that you necessarily thought you were going to take away from it, and that ended up being the case. One of the things that we would have taken away if it happened, if Oklahoma State was ahead of Cincinnati, that would have been a big talking point because then at that point there would have been no way that Cincinnati would have been able to hop Oklahoma State if both teams won. Um, but Cincinnati stays in front of Oklahoma State, which now just leads to, like, if Oklahoma State beats Baylor, and Cincinnati beats Houston, especially if if both games are around the same score as opposed to, like, it'd be one thing if Oklahoma State beats Baylor by, like, 40 and Cincinnati squeaks one by Houston. You can make the argument for Oklahoma State then. Yes. If and, they're even. And they end up jumping them. Because they'll say, well, <sighs> Baylor's ranked ahead of, of, of Houston. And, the, you know, if they both win by 10. Mm-hmm. They'll say, well, Oklahoma State beat a number, what's Baylor, 8th? They dropped to nine, which uh, I'll so get to that okay, in a second. Baylor's, that was weird. Baylor's ranked ninth. They beat them by 10. Uh, Cincinnati beat Houston, who's ranked like 18th or 20th. They beat them by 10. Uh, people would, that would be, Twitter would be, I understand it's it's a medium on which you read, not hear, but man, that would be loud. Twitter would be loud Sunday. Yes, it would. So, um, I don't know. We'll, we'll still see. I still kind of believe that if Oklahoma State wins, they're going to put them in. Over Cincinnati, were they? Are they fifth? Yeah, they're fifth, and that was important too. The fact that they were already ahead of Notre Dame. Now yeah, the yeah, only yeah. way Notre Dame gets in is if a lot there has to be. Yeah, they, they need Cincinnati to get upset. They need uh, well, Oklahoma I'll say State this, to get upset. If Alabama loses, it doesn't. It won't. If Alabama loses, then Oklahoma State's in anyway with a win. And that in Cincinnati, well, could get I'm it saying anyway. for yeah, yeah, yeah. I was saying for Notre Dame. I don't know why I was misconstruing no, that. Um, no, no, you. But we, it, it's worth noting because if Alabama wins, then Oklahoma, then it would come down to Oklahoma State. It would be two teams for one spot. Well, Michigan also has to win, and I really think Michigan is. I think Oklahoma State's vulnerable to a to a letdown as well. They just beat each team. Just beat a rival. They beat a rival who usually beats them. Um, and they did it to stay alive in the playoff hunt. And, I mean, that's a lot to ask. And, and I don't know, it, it would yeah. – I, I feel like, I mean, the gravity of this game is so huge, but I feel like if this exact same situation were happening in October, a lot of us would be going, yeah, this is a perfect spot for a letdown. Yeah. The other interesting rankings, Baylor was ninth, which – you know, I, I kind of question the idea if they beat Oklahoma State and some chaos happened, would they have a chance as a two-loss team? Well, that tells me probably not. They got jumped by Ole Miss, which was weird. Both teams won on the road. Ole Miss won at 7-5 and five Mississippi State. Baylor won at 6-6 six and six Texas Tech, but they got jumped by Ole Miss. I, I don't know why. It just, I guess that was enough to, to change it. Um, but it won't matter. If Baylor wins this week, they'll jump back ahead of Ole Miss. Uh, also, Iowa was in at 13th. That's probably too far to consider them if they beat Michigan um that just tells you that because every week they redo the process so I don't mean like like they don't view it as hey you'd have to jump over all these teams but that just tells you that their resume isn't nearly there right now 
to be in that discussion if they do beat Michigan, I would think. And then the only other thing of note in the playoffs, Houston was 21, San Diego State was 19. If Houston beats Cincinnati in the AAC title game, it'll be probably a pretty interesting debate for who makes the New Year's Six Bowl, but I would think it'll be Houston at the end of the day. Over Cincinnati or over if San Houston Diego beats State? Them, over both. Now, part of it, though, you might think, depend. You don't think they put both in? I mean, if, well, it's, I mean, there was the only one that's guaranteed is, is the, the highest-ranked right. conference champion. But they can I, put more in, but yeah. they won't. I mean, well, I'm trying to think back when TCU was a mid-major, and this this was during the BCS era, not the playoff era, that Boise State and TCU played one another in the Fiesta Bowl. However, mm-hmm. they had both won their conference. So that's the difference. Hmm. I don't know what will happen, but I, I would just think whoever wins the AAC is going to secure the the automatic bid. Yeah, I, I want. Things. I really hope Cincinnati wins that. But I if, just, if I want, I want them to. End. Utah, them to they blow out Oregon again. All of a sudden, Utah's a top ten team. All of a sudden, that win for San Diego State looks even better. Well, who has a chance Whew. here? Alabama's still. Georgia's in for the Al- playoff. Yeah, Georgia's in. Alabama's still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, Cincinnati's still alive. Yep. Michigan's still alive. Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's still alive. Notre Dame's alive. Notre Dame's alive. And what? Ohio State? Are they the ones behind Notre Dame? I think yeah. So so that Ohio State's probably where you get to the. They need the crazy. They need. Oklahoma State to lose. They need everybody Cincinnati to lose. To lose yeah. Alabama to lose. Michigan. No, to Notre lose, Dame needs two. What are they? Fifth. Yeah. So they need two teams in front of them to lose. Yes. And they need what? The best case scenario. Well, no, they need two teams and one of them not be Georgia. Well, and even then, the problem is if, if Alabama beats Georgia, then you got your two SEC yeah. teams in. But but how crazy? Because I I think this is actually a real possibility. Especially last night, they said they were talking to Gary Barda, the uh, college football playoff like chair or whatever. And he was saying how it will be considered into the future how Notre Dame doesn't have a coach anymore. Like, that could negatively yeah, yeah, impact yeah. them. I wonder if Alabama loses, they lose by 7, 10 points, where it's not like an ultra-close loss, but it's it's not a, you know, for sure blowout. I kind of think 11-2 and two Alabama would get in over 11-1 Notre Dame. If there's a spot open? Yeah, like that's if like the, other the last teams spot. Don't make yeah. it, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I wouldn't argue with that, especially when they're on the record as saying they're going to con- take into consideration them not having a coach. I um, part of me wonders, Luke Fickle. What if Cincinnati win? We talked. What if Cincinnati loses and, and and Luke Fickle goes and coaches Notre Dame in the playoff? What if Cincinnati wins and he still leaves and coaches Notre Dame in the playoff? I don't. I mean, I don't think any of these things happen. Yeah. It's no. It's just it's, it's fun about. fodder. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you want to do a hypothetical of the week here? We've got... Um, was that the hypothetical? No, that was not the hypothetical. Okay. Uh, would you rather Jalen Daniels or Devin Neal win the Heisman or KU wins the Big 12? KU wins the Big 12. That was fast. Yeah, I think um, I think the Heisman, I, I have no problem with the Heisman, um, and it would be a huge, huge deal for KU. I guess you could argue they'd be in line to win the Big 12 if they had legitimate Heisman contender. Um but no, I, I would prefer the, the, the team excitement of winning a Big 12 conference. It would also mean on top of that that not only have you had a great season, you've won, you know, I, I like the single game aspect of having a conference championship game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, and I'm fine with the argument that the round robin allows for a more true champion rather than a single game. I get that. Um, but no, I, I think it would be so cool. Imagine how much fun that Saturday night would be the, the, this weekend, if this weekend KU were playing in the Big 12 title game and they won it, how fun that would be. Um, so, yeah, give me 
Uh, I would look. I, I would be thrilled either way uh, because it would also mean KU would have had a great season if they have a Heisman finalist. But um, no, I, I would take KU to win the Big Twelve. I would. I would prefer that. Hmm. I think I would actually lean Heisman because of the fact that what you said, like. What's the worst team who's who's had Heisman? RG three and Tim Tebow. Yeah, they I think like, they went nine and three. Um, the RG three team go eight and four. I don't know. They what? Uh, I don't know. I know RG three. I know that team won their bowl game, and and the Tim Tebow game a team lost their bowl game. Yeah, I think both teams went nine and three though in the regular season. So that would probably mean that first of all, if you win the Heisman, you're going nine and three, which doesn't you're mean you're probably playing a New Year's six. You're close. Well, no, the the. Baylor played uh, in the Alamo Bowl. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know. Um, but here's the thing to me: like with the the Big Twelve versus the Heisman, both of them would clearly do wonders for you in recruiting. Yeah, I think the Heisman would do more. Um, how about this? You've got what if I gave you a non-play instead of the Big Twelve? Well, because wait, wait, let, let me ask you this: just off the top of your head, you know who won the ACC in two thousand seven? You don't have to give me an answer. The point is, it's hard to think about. You could probably tell me who won the Heisman in 2007. Todd Reesing. <laughs> so KU's already got one. Okay. Point Adam. Point. <laughs> no, you're right. You're absolutely right. Tim Tebow won it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great point. Uh, I, I'm going to be racking my brain. I think it was Pitt. Did Pitt? No, Pitt wasn't even in the. I have ACC no idea who the won the ACC. You could tell um, me the right answer, and I wouldn't have it for you. Yeah, I. I yeah. Um, Maybe it was Wake Forest. Honestly, I don't know. It was around that when a, they won. That it. was the weird year when every when when a bunch of teams came from nowhere. Um, oh no, it was Virginia Tech. The K, that's who KU beat in the Orange Bowl. They're the ACC champion. Um, so Virginia Tech. But you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right that yeah. the name Tim Tebow comes to mind a lot quicker. Um, yeah, you're right, but I don't know. I just I feel like I would have more fun celebrating a Big Twelve. Like if I'm thinking about how much fun would I have after the event is over, mm. um, the the fun I would have after KU winning a Big Twelve title game. Let me take it take it a step further. We're coming up on the end of the hour, so I'll hustle. Um, forget the Big Twelve part. That same thing with the Heisman. Either one of those players wins it, which means it's coming soon because you said yeah. Jalen Daniels or Devin Neal, or a non-playoff New Year's Six Bowl victory. So, like, let's say they, they win the Cotton Bowl, but mm-hmm. the Cotton Bowl's not a semifinal that year. So they're not in the playoff, but they win a New Year's Six Bowl. See, okay, so that's interesting because, right, what I said comes along with the Heisman is probably at the very least a 9-3 and three season. And but you're what, talking more ten and two, eleven and one, right? And what comes along with the New Year's Six Bowl, even if you didn't make the playoff, that could be a Big Twelve title along with the New yeah, Year's exactly. Six Bowl, right? So I think I would take the New Year's Six Bowl at that point. But yeah, so so we yeah. we found the line, though, yeah. At least, yeah. Either way, man, it's it's fun to think about. Um, I still think. I mean, what's crazy about that Todd Reesing thing is if you look at his numbers, there were a lot of years, and and I, you know, if you look back at 07, I'm 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 fine. I mean, I would have liked to have seen him be, be a Heisman finalist, but I understand why he wasn't because that was an incredible year um, in college football, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. But there were a lot of years, not just in, in old football, there were a lot of years in modern football in which Todd Reesing's stats and KU's record in 07 would have gotten him in, to New York for the finalist ceremony. 
Yeah, that was kind of the one of uh, the more unfortunate parts of that season. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and uh, 1320 KLWN. Um, we are going to talk some more KU basketball at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. We uh, opened up the show talking about Christian Brown. Is he the second best player on the team for KU? Is he even the first? So we're going to do a draft of each of us will pick five KU basketball players back and forth. Very simple idea. Just to kind of get an idea of where everybody ranks right now um, in that order. All right, with Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. KLWN.com. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. KLWN.com. With Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. Again, we have Hawk Talk, I believe, for you coming up tonight. We have tomorrow special show. We're going to be out in Omaha, and we'll be out there for RCST from 3 to 4.30. We'll then carry the KU volleyball game at 4.30. KU in the first round of the NCAA tournament, taking on Oregon. Myself and Adam will be on the call of that one, and we will be brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. And another new sponsor going to be joining us, uh, Burgers by Biggs. Biggs Barbecue is going to be helping us go up there with the coverage as well. So um, I'm glad we've got local local, yes. local uh, companies are the ones sponsoring Yeah, us. That's cool. Well, like I said, the broadcast rights are so expensive for this stuff, so the fact that we have the two of them, and I think the two of those will be able to cover it, I, I don't totally know. We're still kind of awaiting the word on, on the final of the broadcast rights, but I, I think between the two of them that hopefully is enough. Um, so we're really excited about getting up there for that, and thank you again to both of those for allowing us to do it. Um we opened the show talking about Christian Brown and how good of a season he's been. Pretty much top two in every category for KU. Points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, uh, field goal percentage, free throw percentage. Ironically, the one that's not is three-point percentage, which is the one you think of and how he's been the second-best player on the team. He was the one KU player to make the all-tournament team last week, which means last week specifically he was the best player on the team for that stretch of games. Now, whether that remains to be seen is another question. So what we're going to do here, because we kind of toyed with that question, was um, not just Christian Brown, the second-best player on the team, but could you make an argument for him being the best player on the team? What we're going to do here, we're going to do a draft, and we're going to each come up with a team of KU basketball players. We're going to each come up with our starting five and our sixth man. So, I mean, this won't be just purely about, you know, pick the five best players. You will actually have to, you know, pertain to a lineup. Yeah, so you got to make a traditional lineup. Well, and how you want to build that lineup is completely up to you, right? It it just has to be realistic. Like, you can't put, you know, Bobby Pettiford at the five, right? Um, But, you know, you can get creative with it in certain ways and and make it play however you want. So, um, with that being said... Just for this year, do we get to keep this thing for a few years? <laughs> no, just for this year. Just for this year. Um, I'll let you have the first pick. We'll do it. I, I don't know. I'll give you the option. We're, it's going to be a snake draft. So you'll either have the first pick in the fourth or the second and the third, and then it'll go from there. I'll take the first. I'll take Ochai. Okay. I think that was probably the most obvious pick of the draft. As much as we were talking about Christian Brown, it's pretty clearly Ochai. Do you have anything to say on? No, Ochai? I mean, just I, I just I think he's the best player. Um, I I think he's probably going to be relied upon the most to to score when the team needs a bucket. Um, and so yeah, I just I I think um, as much as we've talked about Christian Brown adding driving to the hoop to his repertoire, Ochai has shown that as well. 
Um, yeah, I just I like him as a player. I, I think he is the best player on the team. Um, so that's why he's the best, you know, to me, the, the, the top pick. So now is where the intrigue comes in. I have back-to-back picks here, so I can spread it out. Do I, you know, back up everything I've been talking about this whole show and pick Christian Brown? Do I go with the, um, I don't know, high ceiling pick of Jalen Wilson? The fact that he didn't play well last week, but you feel like you could get there. Do you I go, go with the kid you want to adopt, KJ Adams? Yeah, right. Um, do I? Yeah. <laughs> do I go with the oldest player on the team, Jalen Jalen Coleman Land? No. Um, but seriously, like, do I go with Remy Martin? Right? Do I go with? I don't know. It feels a little silly now to say go with David McCormick. Oh, in the preseason, you could have convinced me to go with that. I, I will back up what I'm saying. I'm going to go Christian Brown. I think he just gives you a lot of versatility, right? You can play him basically at the two, the three, or the four. And yes, like what Jesse Newell was talking about, he's not the best like on-ball defender. He's at least doing some stuff off the ball positionally. He's getting steals, averaged over two steals per week last week. And once the three-point shots start falling in addition to everything he's doing, handling the basketball, uh, finding other players, getting assists, driving to the rim, finishing around the rim at a high level, I think Christian Brown is playing, at least right now, you know, how we're viewing this thing. I think he would be the number two pick. Which brings me to number three. And now I'm kind of in the same conundrum, right? But I think I would narrow this down to, and and I'll be curious who you take with your next pick because it'll tell me um, if, because I'm between two guys, I'm going to go with Remy Martin at number three. Now, I'm not enthused by how my team is going to play defense right now with Remy Martin and Christian Brown. That's a lot of scoring punch right there. And... Remy Martin just has such a good ability to score the basketball in bunches. It's not always consistent, but a lot of times when you need a bucket, he's getting it. He can create shots for his own his own self, and I really like the offense that you'd have with those two. Next, I am uh, going to go with Dewan Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, yeah, I, I just I, I like him as a ball handler. Um, he's regressed a little bit, which makes me nervous, but he still is. Um, he's really, really fun to watch. Um, and, and it's, that is because of his skill. Um, I think he, he creates shots for other guys. Um, my next pick is tough because I, I, I thought, well, I mean, I need a big, I'm going to need a big eventually. Um, the best big, I still view the, well, the big with the big, with the highest ceiling is, is David McCormick. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm narrowing this down in, but my thought process is I'm narrowing it down in between two guys who have been struggling and which one uh, do I think can contribute the most and which one do I think is most likely to pull out of their slump. I think they're both equal in terms of what they can do to pull out of their slump. Um, so I'm going to go with a little more versatility and instead of David McCormick, I'm taking Jalen Wilson. Mm. And you're going to play um, him think, at the five. I, yeah, I'll, mm-hmm. he'll spend time at the five. Um, we'll lose a little bit on defense, but I do think uh, kind of what Jesse Newell was talking about, there's there's so, I mean, you know, he he kind of, the, the speed of this team and their ability to score fast and on fast breaks uh, almost gives them 16 points immediately, uh, I think is the way he worded it when we spoke with him earlier. Um, I, I, and I, I like, you know, I'm kind of going with that theory. I do think you lose a lot when you're playing against a, a, a big, you know, a big guy. Um, but I think you gain a little bit when you're on the offensive end because you can force their big man to have to, to defend a guy like Jalen Wilson. 
when he is uh, having to take the responsibilities at the five. Um, and on, then on top of that, I, I think I'm I'm missing some rebounds. And I think in the long run, as while I do think Christian Brown is legit, I do think Jalen Wilson is, is going to start to become um, that that rebounding threat that we or the rebounding um, hawk, I guess that we saw him be last year. So uh, what did I say? Dewan Harris and Jalen Wilson, mm-hmm. my two picks there. This kind of hamstrings me a little bit because now I, I almost have to take David McCormick. He's the only starter left in this draft. Um, in fact, a bench guy, Jalen Wilson, got taken before him, and I, I agree with that. So I'll, I'll just take him because that's an obvious pick, and you hope that he kind of figures his stuff out. Um, Again, not really enthused by my team defensively because, I don't know, if Dave's having a good shot-blocking game, then that definitely helps. Um, this is where it gets really hard, right? Now you're into a bunch of bench players who it's been kind of up in the air whether how much they played, right? Uh, Joseph Yesifu, Bobby Pettiford, Jalen Coleman-Lance, K.J. Adams, Zach Clements, Mitch Lightfoot, right? Um, and honestly, you could have convinced me to take Mitch Lightfoot over David McCormick. I think it's more of a potential pick. The ceiling is higher on what David McCormick, McCormick can be. McCormick's about to peel off a run of like, 12 straight double-double games, and he's going to pick us both up and throw us into the Kaw River. <laughs> well, I mean, it could happen. Like, honestly, it, all it takes is one game. You know, he has one game where he has 18 points, 10 rebounds on 8 of 10 going. shooting, gets the confidence going. So I'll, I'll go with him, but that is pretty crazy, the fall-off, because I just took David McCormick. That was the sixth pick of our draft. And if we would have done this in the preseason, what's the latest he goes in Third. this draft? Yeah, that's behind the latest Ochai he goes, right? That's the latest yeah. he goes. He's behind Ochai and Rene. And there's a chance he goes second. There's yeah, a yeah. chance he goes first yeah, because we'd be doing this draft and saying, what's the drop-off to the next center, yeah, right? Yeah, he's top three for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, yeah, he's argument top for he's, he's argument number one. But, yeah, he's he's fallen. Um, and maybe the fact that, I don't know, what, what does that tell you? Does that tell you more that we were all wrong on him? Or does that tell you that he's going to turn it around? I mean, Bill Self was so adamant last year that he was going to turn it around. He eventually did. But you made that point with Jesse. Was yeah. it because he needed it to happen? And so he just kind of kept, no other choice. kept saying it so so he could give McCormick some confidence? I don't know. He showed against Iona. Now, that may have been the exception, not the rule, but he showed against Iona. He's not shy about going to his other options. Mitch Lightfoot played one more minute than, than McCormick did. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm really tempted to take Mitch Lightfoot as big man insurance here. I'm not going to. I'm going to actually go. This one might be a little weird because he hasn't necessarily broken out yet. Uh, Joseph Yesifu. And he had, I think, a mini breakout in that last game against Iona. I think last week in that tournament in the ESPN Events Invitational, I actually thought that Joseph Yesifu, um played better than Bobby Pettiford, which over the first couple weeks of the season, I thought it was the other way around. Yeah, yeah. And you heard Bill Self at the presser one of the parts we were playing, him saying, you know, Bobby might have been having to do a little more running. And there were a couple times I know Jesse Newell pointed out in, I forget if it was the Iona game or the Dayton game, that Bobby Pettiford messed up a defensive assignment. That'll get you on the bench with Bill Self, right? And I do think, as as I, I am still like, you know, as enthused about Bobby Pettiford as you can be. I still think in a year or two, this dude is going to be all Big 12, might be all American. Like, he could be that next great guard at Kansas. But right now, I don't think it's been tested yet. He hasn't really shown he can shoot the basketball yet. Eventually, once you get into Big 12 play, teams are scouting you more. They might just sag off of him. That's not going to be the case with Joe Yesifu. Dude can shoot. 
Yeah. He can make contested shots. He can score off the dribble. He can drive to the rim. He's fearless. Great athlete, despite not being the biggest guy in the world. And he pressures the basketball really well. Um, doesn't mean he's a great defender because he is a little bit of a shorter guard, and that does lead to some weaknesses there. But he tries really hard on that end. He pressures really hard. He makes your life kind of a living hell on that end. And I think after last week, I'm kind of wondering if we could be in store for just the arrow slightly moving up. Like, I feel like I'm buying stock low on Joe Yesfu, and it's going to work up. So uh, that'll be my next pick. All right. Remind me. I have Dewan Harris. Mm-hmm. I have Ochai Abaji. Mm-hmm. I have Jalen Wilson. Wilson. And that is it. What? That is it. No, I had two picks last time. Yeah, you got uh, Jalen and Dewan. I have four. You have three. You have back-to-backs here, though. Oh, that's right. Okay. Okay. Um. So I have Ochai, Jalen, and Dewan. That's right, because I didn't start with back-to-backs. Mm-hmm. That was why I was doing my math wrong. Um. Look at the draft board. You got like here's who's available. I guess. I know. I I know who I have. You available. got it. Right. Yeah. This is just tough. Um. Because I had an idea of where I wanted to go, but now I'm not so sure. <sighs> I thought, uh, yeah, okay, I'm going to do that. Um, give me Clements. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is going to be in no particular order. My two picks are going to be Zach Clements and Mitch Lightfoot. Okay. Uh, Lightfoot so I can run a more traditional uh, set with a more traditional big man. Uh, he's reliable. We we know what his ceiling is, uh, which is not necessarily all conference level, mm-hmm. um, but we know that whatever his floor is, he doesn't reach that floor very often. He's a very consistent guy. Um, and so when I want to play a more traditional type uh, offense, I can do that with Mitch Lightfoot. Um, and then oh, I can also do it with Zach Clements when I want to, to move um, Jalen Wilson out a little bit. So, yeah, give me Clements and Lightfoot as, as kind of two more normal big men. But Clements is a guy who's shown an ability to uh, play outside the blocks. Okay, this makes things interesting for me because um, I do want to actually take Bobby Pettiford here, but I don't know if I can. Because I have Remy Martin and Joseph Joseph Yesifu. I just have, like, the shortest lineup ever. But I guess I could take him as the sixth man. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take Pettiford as the sixth man, and it's a little bit about keeping him off of your team. Um, That's just a gamesmanship pick, I guess. But as much as I said about Joe Yesifu, like I said, I still really do believe in uh, Bobby Pettiford and the future that's to come for him. So I'll go with him for my sixth man. And then that leaves us both with just one pick remaining. I need a forward. So I could either play Christian at the four or I could play him at the three. And I have two picks basically to choose from here, right? We could go with a walk-on. We could go with a guy redshirting like Kyle Cuff or Cam Martin. But I'll go with a guy who's actually playing. So that basically leaves Jalen Coleman-Lands or KJ Adams. With Jalen, I get the shooting. But I already have shooters out there with Remy Martin, Joe Yastafu, Christian Brown. I think KJ Adams, man, but the spacing's so bad there with KJ and Dave. But whatever, I love you know I love KJ Adams, so I feel like I'm that obligated to take him. Um, I I think the fact that you would be able to maybe make a like KJ Adams, I think would be the almost the better rim protector on the court with Dave. He's fa- yeah, he's he's I don't think he's like a tall, weak side rim protector, bouncy, like the guy yeah. coming over from the opposite side. Like yeah. you said, he's bouncy to swat a ball away as the help defender. Yeah, yeah in yeah. that sense, I think. Um, and yeah, I'd be a little bit worried about the spacing, but I like my rebounding on that team with Brown, Adams, and Dave. Right? I mean, Dave's yeah. probably the third best rebounder on my team. Heck, Remy Martin's averaging, I think, maybe around the same amount of rebounds as Davis this year, which is weird. So you have your last pick. I'm assuming I need it's, my it's Jalen Coleman Lands. Lands. I yeah. need a chance for my other guards to sit for a minute. Okay, so these are the lineups that we came up with. 
I have Remy Martin, Joe Yesifu, Christian Brown, KJ Adams, David McCormick, and Bobby Pettiford. You have Dewan Harris, Jalen Coleman Lands, Ochag Baji, Jalen Wilson, Mitch Lightfoot, Zach Clements. I'm just going to say this right now. I like your team better than mine. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, part of it is Dewan Harris, the fact that you heard Bill Self on a press conference, I don't know, a time or two ago, be like every team that had Dewan Harris on it in practice like always wins in scrimmages. So you have that factor going toward you. Uh, I think you have a better defensive team. Dewan, good defender. Ochai, good defender. Um, you just have more versatility defending. I think, you know, with Mitch being a, even though he's undersized and can get bullied in the post at times, he's still a solid rim protector. Um, Jalen gives you versatility. So I kind of like your team a little bit more. Ladies, you hear that? <laughs> yeah, I'm go good for at Adam. drafting fake basketball teams. Do you think either of these teams, like this goes back to a conversation we had with Brian Haney where would the backups go 500 in the Big 12? Would either of these teams be like a top four team in the Big 12? Or would both um, teams? I think, I mean, your scores, so you, well, there's, I don't know. There's some scoring on each team. I don't know if my if Dave was playing like if he Dave, was last. If Dave's at this at his height of his power. Then yes, you your your team has the more has the higher ceiling. Um, I just I think Dewan, I, I think I I went so much more with reliability, um, rather than ceiling. Well, like let's come into a world this year where, for instance, on your team, David McCormick went pro this season and Christian Brown transferred or something. Remy Martin never came to KU. And we were coming into the year, and your lineup was Dewan Harris, a transfer in Jalen Coleman-Lands, who averaged 15 to Iowa State. Ochai came back. Wilson came back. Lightfoot was your de facto center. We'd still be talking about that as probably uh, maybe Baylor would be the team to beat or Texas, but yeah, it'd be yeah, top three, we, right? We still have a top 20, top 15 squad yeah. we're talking about. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. We'll play the rest of that Bill Self audio for you coming up next.